0: Podcast is part of the sports social podcast network. City Chronicles is a Bia Chronicles production. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Seria Chronicles Q&A episode. This is an opportunity for you guys to ask us your questions and we will try to deliver a comprehensive response. So let's start off with this week. Um, It's me, Mina Rizuki, and uh, obviously Nikki Vantini. And the first question is from Dan on YouTube. A comment on something you said in episode four, and which others say about racism in sports. While I don't like it, I believe punishing people for how they feel, even if it's negative, doesn't change hearts and minds. It pushes them into corners. Do you guys think banning someone for racism is more likely to change them or push them farther away?
1: This is quite a um, controversial question. Yeah. Gosh, no. I mean, you know, fair enough, Dan, asking the big questions. This is a big question. Yeah um yeah it is I um actually uh starting off with this question made me realize Nina that at the start of um of the week when we did our um main Serie A Chronicles podcast for the week um we uh actually missed off talking about uh Denzel Dumfries and um the fact that uh he was racially abused during um last year's game against Inter and there was this very clear uh TV footage of that and um some sort of hard questions about why can't we um if we can see people so clearly why can't we identify them and and and, and get them out of stadiums right away? I I think I understand where Dan's coming from. Uh, if you force people to the fringes of society and alienate them, is that an effective method for changing hearts and minds Possibly not for that individual. Possibly not for that individual. You make them uh, more hostile, more angry. If uh, punishment is accompanied with, um, is not accompanied with rehabilitation in general. Big picture questions here. Is that a a good way of of treating something? I I would say probably not. I don't believe in um, that sort of justice in the world. However, what I do think is you have to take a view that goes beyond that individual. And in fact, I would say that individual has become the lowest of my priorities by behaving that way. What I want is for everyone else inside the stadium and most of all, the people who are being subjected to the abuse to be able to uh, go to that stadium. I want people not to be able to be abused at their workplace. I think that's the first and most important part of all this. I think that that should be a, a first pillar of everything. Someone should not go to literally do their job and be subjected to racial abuse. So for that reason, it's a no brainer. Of course you ban people from the stadium who do it because it's it's unacceptable that that should happen in your workplace. And secondly, I think that when you send a clear message that something is unacceptable and there's no clearer way to send the message that something is unacceptable than just saying you get banned completely for doing it, you create an environment where that is understood. You create an environment where, and you have to be consistent in doing it. I mean, this, you know, you could learn this in any school classroom in the world. Like you only achieve these things by being consistent. If you just pick off one or two people who are racist and then don't get the rest, then that sends a message of, well, you can chance it. But if you do it consistently, you make it clear that the atmosphere will not tolerate it. And I think that that way you do make the stadiums a more welcoming place for, first of all, for more people. And secondly, you actually, I think, reinforce the value in the people who go there that um that that's not an acceptable way to think. Um I think that actually does change minds. It just might not change the mind of the person you've kicked out, but it probably changes more minds over time by creating atmospheres where that sort of thinking is is not sort of, I don't know, treated as, oh, okay, but it's just someone having a laugh. I think you do actually um, change the way people think inside the stadium as well.
0: I think there are several things to look at here. So if you're talking about if I'm being punished for having an opinion or or the way that I see things, um, that basically punishing me is not necessarily going to change what I feel inside, and it probably won't. But over time, as we've seen over the years, racism exists. All types of discrimination still exist, but they are lessened. And the the evil sort of gets a little bit better with education and with time so if we go back a hundred years when things were much more acceptable to the way that people feel about these things now it has changed And so we are trying to move on as a society and as a as really the world to progress in our values and what we want to be more inclusive to allow people to live the what lives that they want to to live without being discriminated or hated upon and while maybe it doesn't change what that one person feels it might make a difference to a kid who doesn't have to see that in a stadium who's there to watch the game if that is something that he always sees then he thinks that's also normal and this is where he can come to the stadium and release all his vengeance and anger but if he sees that isn't happening then he might learn from something and if he doesn't then maybe his younger sister will and so it's about progressively moving forward which is tiny steps it's never big strides another thing that I want to say is that there were lots of studies that were conducted during the pandemic because it was obviously a a natural way of doing a study stadiums were empty and they looked at the performances of non-white players at times when stadiums were empty and they were significantly better because they weren't being targeted by racial abuses because it's an empty stadium and that tells you a lot I shouldn't have to go on to the pitch, play my game, and like Koulibaly, when he was so upset, feel, or oh, oh, Dan is feel that I am being targeted simply for something that I cannot change myself. And so when you're not there, when your presence is not there, when you, as a fan, are not there, I do better. So what does that tell you? That tells you, you know, stadiums are for everyone, for people who play in them, for people who are directors, for the children, for the fans. They are not only there to please one guy who's paying for a ticket. It is also a job for other people. And they should be able to, like Nikki said, conduct their job without being discriminated or racially abused or anything happened to them. You should be able to fulfill your job. And the fact that studies have provo- produced the type of results in which we significant differences for non-white players in performances suggests it is something they feel they hold within them. And that just can't be, we can't be in a world where something so silly affects that type of thing. Because again, when we're talking about, even from even if you want to take away just the ethical and moral dilemma, it, money. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is if you are a team that is made of stars um, who are pushing you through and they are black and you, and, or, or non-white um, or Latino or Serbian or everything that has been targeted upon, even Napoli um stars to are targeted for you know other forms of discrimination not necessarily racism and if you are being targeted then w- what does that mean for you as a club when all your players are carrying this unbelievable pain within you what does that mean for your fan base um what does that mean for society so i think that it's always got to be many steps forward it's got to be making sure that everyone feels happy there and while we might not change the hearts or minds of a particular individual down the line it might change the mind of his son or his grandson and that's all we can do at the moment
1: yeah I I I really um I, I maybe there's nothing to add I, I just really ag- agree with that I think we're all products of our environment every one of us is a product of our environment that we've grown up in uh, or we've lived through and uh, the football stadium the time you spend there is only a small part of the environment and I don't think that anyone should expect or or believe that um what happens in a football stadium is going to completely form someone's worldview. Of course, like if you want cultural change, you need cultural solutions that run all through society. But I think that it, it it helps. I think if if you can know that you go to a football stadium and you're not going to to hear that stuff, I think it's one little one 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 environment more in which people are, are going to have their opinions formed. And yeah, it, it can't be a bad thing in my mind. I'm afraid to to ban races from a stadium.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wrote a thread if you want to look into it. It's, it features the study of what it means in, in Italy and stuff. So if you want to just refer to my Twitter, then you'll see it all on there
1: um, about racism. I wrote it. Twitter.com forward slash Mini Rizuki. Next question comes from Rory Niall Robinson. He's from London. Why do we think that there's no serious transfer interest for my favourite man? Berardi, Domenico Berardi. Um, I love the Easter still at Sassuolo, but it just seems odd as he's evidently in his prime. Mina.
0: He didn't have a very good game this weekend. <laughs> in fact, I think he was one of his worst performances. I love Domenico Berardi. Um, you can just see how much he elevates the play in the final third, the, his ability on the ball. And obviously we don't need to go into that because he's your favourite player. So <laughs> I don't need to tell you that he's wonderful. But he himself, well firstly Sassuolo don't want to let him go. Um they are very keen and they are they understood that for example when it came to Locatelli there was a desire from the player to move and a huge desire from Juventus to get their man and they just thought fine it's a sacrifice we need to do because the player will be unhappy. Azi is very happy in Sassuolo and he is somebody who has never really chased anything more than just personal satisfaction, a nice environment, a good family balance. And he is genuinely happy in Sassuolo. If there is something that will catch his eye, I think he'll make it clear that he wants to move on. Uh, clubs have certainly come in for him. They have registered their interest, but Sassuolo has usually come back and said to them, no chance. He's staying with us. He's our man. We live for him. So... I don't know whether, you're right, he is in his prime and he doesn't have that long if he wants to make a step up. But I wonder with Berardi whether he's the kind of man that will, I mean, obviously he is doing amazingly for the national team. So we know that he can produce amazing football wherever he is. But I think from his, I don't know, from a psychological point of view, I think that Berardi needs to be happy. A little bit like Cassano needed to be happy. And I think Sassuolo does. Give him that. And I'm not entirely sure that he would feel that way if he had, for example, actually moved to Juventus rather than just be sent out on loan or whatever, um, or went to a Milan side. Maybe he would, but I don't know if he wants to take that chance.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been moments in, in Berardi's career. So uh, he was actually um, had a chance to move to Juventus when he was 12 years old. And the story he tells about that is, you know, look, I was a big Inter fan. I didn't really want to do it at 12 years old, which look, it's, no diff- <laughs> it's no different to, um, to, to someone no. like Francesco Totti, who didn't want to go to Lazio and had that chance before he could have gone, or, or go to Milan. I, I think that there's been points since then when things could have happened. And actually, you know, around 2016, there was this situation where Juventus was supposed to want him. And, and the story I always heard about that was that Berardi um, turned it down at the time because so he wanted to sit at Sassuolo. I mean, he was basically co-owned for a while by Juventus and, and Sassuolo. Mm-hmm. Um, but he turned it down on the basis that he didn't want to go and sit on the bench. And he's talked about that now openly in interviews. Like, what was the point of me going somewhere to sit on the bench? I wanted to play football, which he might be right about. I've now actually recently heard an alternative history about that, which is that Marotta was the one who turned around and, and said that that wasn't the signing he wanted for the club right now. The player he wanted to bring in that is at least to, to play with Jens right now. Who knows? Sometimes these histories are more complicated than we think. And, and sometimes it's a bit from pot A and a bit from point, pot B. But certainly I think what Minas just said is, is true that Berardi has been quite happy to be the man somewhere. I think he's he's wanted to play football, frankly, and he didn't want to go and be one of those young players who goes to a club that's too big for him and not play. Having said that, I think he was quite ready to move this summer and the opportunity didn't come along. And Sassuolo were already letting uh, go of Locatelli. Obviously after the Euros, you've got a slightly abbreviated time to get ready as a football club, especially with how the last year all got condensed by COVID. Um, see, now I'm saying COVID differently. I said COVID before, didn't I? You <laughs> see, like it. you do say COVID. I'm, I'm psyching <laughs> myself out. I think it's, it's certainly not inconceivable to me that he will get a move in the next year or two. I think he's. I think he might be ready Where for it. Where to? I think any of any of the big clubs. Any of the big clubs. Um, a lot of them you can look at and say, do they really need that? Um, and I, I think that's a valid question to ask. But I could see him fitting. Problem is, actually, the real problem right now is within Italy. No one's got the money, right? Um, and yeah. I, I, I could see him fitting into the sort of attacking options that that Napoli had if they got to the point where they turned around and said, you know what, Dries Mertens is is not getting any younger. We need to move. We need to move on. We need someone else who can play in that sort of wide role in in an attacking three. I could see him being someone who would be productive for what Jose Mourinho is trying to do at Roma, but he's got a lot of players already do that sort of job. I could see him working for Manizio Sarri at, at Lazio even. I think there are plenty of clubs that he could do something for.
0: Oh, he could definitely do something for them do you yeah. think that he would succeed in it is the difference you know where I see him most being successful I feel like with Napoli I, I it's just because I I don't know whether they should go for more players who are hungrier and I don't know whether Bradia I would ever describe as the hungriest man I know you
1: know that's an interesting question actually the one that's just popped into my head and it's it doesn't seem likely because um because they're not normally investing in that sort of profile of player. They're normally investing in players that they can make future profits on. But I actually could see him doing really well under Gasparini. I could see him really sort of thriving in 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 that environment um with a manager who will tactically know what to do with him and also who empowers players to to do the one-on-one thing. I think that could really suit him. But I think that that move is probably not the right. Not like just again because of money and how these things work. But Maybe he's even though in Italy. Maybe he's a player who will will end up going and taking a chance to to play somewhere abroad. But I, I don't think he's going to end his career at Sassuolo. I I might be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I th- I think there's there's a move coming for him, um, before too long. So so we'll see. I agree with you.
0: Okay, third question is from Milanese Pat. <laughs> so from Melbourne. Hello. Um, what we've had, you know, London.
1: Melbourne, it's nice. London, Melbourne, YouTube.
0: <laughs> YouTube, yeah. We don't know where that is, but, you know, Dan. You should have told us where you're from, Dan. Um, if Pioli wins the Scudetto with Milan, God willing. Oh, actually, I'm a Juventus fan. I'm a terrible <laughs> Juventus fan today. Juventus fan, yeah. If Pioli wins the Scudetto with Milan, where does he rank amongst
1: active Italian coaches? Active. Interesting. It's complicated. Um because there's some pretty good ones going. I mean, Roberto Mancini just won the Euros. So he's pretty high up the list, even though as a club manager. Um, well, he did win the league with Inter in the end, the league with Man City. I feel like he's, he's, um, he's sort of a bit out of mind with the club management just because he hasn't been doing it for a while. But yes, Mancini is, is, is probably still ahead of him and, um, Allegri has done so much that he's still ahead of him and Antonio Conte uh, has, has won everywhere he's gone, but he's certainly would, would, would jump right up the list of, of, I don't know if he needs to even win it, frankly, to jump up the list. He's already very high on the list for me, but mm-hmm. he would, he would move into that category, which is not a gigantic category of managers who've won the Scudetto. You know, there's, there's, there's not many people who get to say that. At all, and I think certainly I would look at it as a greater achievement than Maurizio Sarri winning a league title with Juventus, who were already in a winning period. If you're the manager who makes a new winning era, I mean, in a sense, he'd be in a position similar to to what to what Allegri was when Allegri won his league title at Milan. He'd be the guy who who ended something, you know, Allegri ended um inter's time on top I suppose Juventus time on top has already ended but still you're coming in and being the guy who puts Milan back on top and then the world is yours from there to, to to move into that category of of the established super managers like um Allegri and Conte you have to do it more than once but you put yourself right up there as as one of the very best for sure I think
0: this also depends on, you know, how you view and how you rate players. you know, whether you are like, you know, sort of the Juventus mold, where the results is the only thing that matters and therefore only a trophy matters, or whether you're someone that's looking at the collective package of things. Um, Pioli has always been one of my favorite coaches. He's always been somebody that has, he has a remarkable ability to get a, his point across to players. Um, There were question marks about how he handles pressure situations, like when teams were losing, if he could get them back onto winning ways. Um, And there were question marks with his temperament because he did get very angry at Fiorentina. And sometimes, you know, it was almost like you didn't know whether or not he was sort of on the edge of things, like if he could push through and and find that winning mentality required. But this is, it, it keeps changing in football and he has as a tactician, as a man who develops talent, as a man who actually talks to players and and forms a relationship and a bond with them, I genuinely don't think there's anyone better right now in Italy Um, or even outside of Italy who is Italian, who who perhaps Roberto Mancini is very good at doing that, but he's doing it with Italians. Whereas Stefano Pioli has genuinely been a father to everyone who's arrived. And it's remarkable, remarkable progress from the likes of Brahim Diaz, Rafael Leal, Davide Calabria, um, I mean, it's just the, the, the happiness that he has managed to bring into the team, I think, says a lot. And I think that he was very good at navig- navigating a very negative situation in the in the passing of David Astori at Fiorentina. And he how he managed to bring Fiorentina together and to, to try to get through it was remarkable as well. I mean, if you're talking about tacticians, I will always say to you, I don't think Antonio Conte is the greatest tactician. I think he's limited in many ways. He... Simone Izzaghi, for example, is very good at that. But does anyone have the ability to win trophies like uh, Conte? Do they have the mentality, the ambition, the desire, the hunger, the the madness that you sometimes need to be a world leader or a world winner or whatever it is? Conte has that, and I'm not entirely sure, like Allegri does, for example. Um, For me, I think Allegri has shown the most in recent years simply because he did, I think, an amazing job with Milan and a tremendous job with Juventus taking what was a very average team to a champion's league final. And that's another thing you have to consider is money. You know, um, obviously I've spoken so much in podcasts about, yeah, it's it's easy to do it when Spalletti at the time had to deal with the madness of Inter's dressing room and Icardi leaving and all of that. Conte had it much easier and a a lot of money spent. So doing it at Milan, when you have Castillejo and Kroonich and Tonali and, not necessarily you have Zlatan but he's 40 years old you know um you have great players don't get me wrong but along the youngsters and not so much money was spent um it's more about developing talent so I think that's a great bow to have in you know um is it a great arrow to have in your what is the saying Nikki
1: um <laughs> oh you've thrown me off now it's a great bow to have in your you know what I mean I just thought oh god I forgot to. Like, what do they... Is it even a bow? Are we mixing <laughs> metaphors here? I am mixing metaphors. Great string to have to Let's your just bow. say weapon. Great string to have to your bow. That's what it Great
0: is. Great string to have to your <laughs> bow. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think that that's one thing you have to applaud him for. You know, he didn't do it by bringing in stars. He doesn't have necessarily, you know, the world's greatest players on the pitch, but he has developed them into the world's greatest players. Theo Hernandez is a wonderful fullback who's playing for France because of what, everything he's learned. Calabria was somebody nobody believed in, but who is now the tactical intelligence of this man who can play anywhere from left and right to midfield to God knows where. Tonali and his his you know his improvements and layout and the fact that he's now tackling and scoring and for me, I think I'd rate that above all else. If you can improve something and win a title doing it like Maurizio Pacchettino and everything he did at Spurs, doesn't matter if he doesn't win a title. So I don't know. I, I still think maybe Carlo Ancelotti and obviously his history and what he's managing to still do with, with the very average Milan Madrid squad. Allegri, yeah, two of the greatest. Mancini just want the Euros, even though sometimes he does. I do find some of his decisions a little bit bizarre, but Stefano Pioli, what a man, what a coach. Honestly, I'm in
1: awe of him right now. Do you know what I think, know, I think we're going to need mm. to start doing our, our official Syria Chronicles rank podcast to get through our top 10 Syria managers. Mm. Good, maybe that's on for the future. Maybe you guys would like rankings. We could do managers in other categories. But but that is it from us for now. Um, I hope you enjoyed this Chronicles Q&A. Do get your questions to us on Twitter at pod with the hashtag Chronicles and a find us both on twitter at nikki bandini at mina all of the links uh, for seriac chronicles social media will be in the show notes for this episode please leave us a rating and review on apple podcast and as mina says we say that but what we really mean is leave us a nice review if you're not going to leave us a nice review start off Write the nasty things you have to say down a sheet of paper, fold it up and give it to someone else um, because uh, we don't want that ruining our ratings now. Come on. Consider supporting the show at stereochronicles.com forward slash supporter and for sponsorship opportunities, please email marketing at mediachronicles.com.au. We will be back next week on Tuesday. See you then. Podcast Network.